You're listening to the Broadway Podcast Network. Good evening, ladies and gentlemen. Welcome to the fabulous Feinstein's 54 Below. Before we get started this evening, just a polite reminder, please take this moment to silence your cell phones. Also, there is no flash photography, please. Thank you, and enjoy the show. This is Christine Andreas, and you are listening to the Feinstein's 54 Below podcast. You are listening to the Feinstein's 54 Below podcast, where we take you backstage and behind the scenes at Broadway's Supper Club. Our guest today is Christine Andreas, a multiple award-winning singer, actress, and two-time Tony nominee. She most recently appeared on Broadway as Jacqueline in the recent revival of La Caja Fall with Kelsey Grammer and also created the role of Marguerite in The Scarlet Pimpernel. She captured theatergoers' hearts as Eliza Doolittle in the 20th anniversary production of My Fair Lady, as Laurie in Oklahoma, as well as her performance in On Your Toes. Audiences across the country remember her portrayal of Margaret Johnson in the much-acclaimed national tour of The Light in the Piazza. Her concerts include appearances at Carnegie Hall, Lincoln Center, the Kennedy Center, Cafe Carlisle, and here at Feinstein's 54 Below. Christine's most recent show, PF No Regrets, was recorded in London with a 36-piece orchestra and is now available both on CD and in a limited edition collector's vinyl release. She returns to Feinstein's 54 Below on January 29th with her latest solo show, And So It Goes, Life and Love, Lost and Found. Christine, welcome to the Feinstein's 54 Below podcast. Nice to be here. You've performed various shows within the last few years here at Feinstein's 54 Below. What keeps you coming back to this space? Well, it's a nice, well, first of all, it's beautiful and it's friendly. Every space makes you feel differently as an artist. And um, this one is very welcoming. I mean, I can see people. Sometimes you're like blinded, like with, you know, like airplane lights in your eyes. So physically, it's, it's a comfortable space to work in. And also, it's one of the few spaces to work in that are elegant and uh, draws an intelligent crowd. Because this form, you know, I come from theater, right? So in theater, you're a character singing songs. When you do this cabaret concert work, you're yourself singing the songs. And I can remember how freaked out I was initially because I'm basically kind of shy. And, you know, you have to be willing to be pretty raw, pretty vulnerable, pretty naked in this form because audiences are so smart. They know when you're hiding. They know when you're nervous. They, they, I mean, the, the animal party just knows that. So the space has a lot to do with you being relaxed. Pure Stanislavski, when you're you know, acting, when you're relaxed, uh, you're connected, and when you're connected, you're communicating well. And I have good conversations here in music and like this. What is the upcoming show about? What, in, what inspired it? <laughs> uh, <laughs> I know you're still writing it. No, no, this <laughs> is a long answer. Like I was saying earlier um, to Grace here, um, you know, if I was writing on Cole Porter, it would be so simple, right? There's a finite amount of music and, you know, there's his life or whatever. So I choose life and love, lost and found, and so it goes. That's like anything. I guess you would want to sing life, about life, about love, finding things, losing things, the vagaries, the fragility of it all. And I kind of didn't know why I was writing it originally. Um, the way I work is I decide I feel like singing in public again. I want to make a joyful noise in front of people, you know. Okay, what do you want to do? And then songs start coming into my consciousness. It's almost like they're a force of their own. Sing me, sing me, sing me, no, me, no, me. And all these songs come to my head. And then usually an idea 
you know, of okay, this this okay, this is great. This this is what it can frame it around this concept. So all these songs started coming, and I kind of didn't know why when I decided I wanted to go live again in front of a crowd with my music. And then it occurred to me really recently that I was getting pretty freaked out. As I, I mean, right? It's a little crazy right now in the world, mm -hmm. and. Uh, the, maybe the biggest thing that freaks me out is just the planet itself looking kind of fragile. And whoever thought, I, I never thought even 15 years ago that it would be looking as fragile as it does. And I have kids. And so all these things were getting to me. And I was having trouble sleeping. And I was getting cranky. And I was getting anxious and scared. And I'm actually going to say this in the show. So I had to really like look at these fears and kill them. And so I started getting more thoughtful about love. Hate is not the opposite of love, fear is. And I just, I didn't want to be part of that problem, so I started writing this show to encourage myself. And, and it's really forced me to like, just look at many, many aspects of particular challenges I face in life as an artist, as a person, as a mom, and how really everything is kind of more or less worked out for all the amounts of nervousness I might have, because I'm a high sensitive. Mm. A lot of people in the arts are, a lot of people are. Yeah, you know, and and we're bombarded with so much yeah. on a daily basis, and so figuring your way through that and maintaining your equilibrium, your your you know your buoyancy um, is a little challenging. So that's kind of why I wrote this to just be encouraging to myself and hopefully to an audience who'll be out there listening. Yeah, that seems to be a common theme of a lot of our artists. Yeah, which is, that's curious. Um, yeah, good. And I guess you know, art does soothe the soul, and they're looking for a way to soothe people. To, and it's to, to reflect see the times, light. too. Yeah. Art reflects the times that we're living too. in. So I just am hitting it on the nose, I guess, this way. But the yeah. way that everybody feels things is different. Mm -hmm. Yet, you know, we all just want peace of mind, you know, and a, and a fulfilled life. So there's all these, you know, this connective. You can relate to to songs about ways we go about getting that. I mean, I sing a song on forgiveness. How many songs do you know about forgiveness? But, you know, there's this idea that in order to love well, you first have to forgive yourself and everybody you're blaming for your misery. <laughs> and, and then your heart opens really to a better level of loving. Now, I don't want this to sound like a lecture yeah. in my show because it could easily go to that place. Like, I speak more from my own life and reveal things that have happened to me some fabulous things, some difficult things, and just how I kind of have, you know, moved through it. Yeah. And I think that's why people uh, love cabaret. And I, I was asking an artist the other day, uh, what's the difference between just getting up and getting, singing a bunch of songs and the art of cabaret? Mm. Part of the answer was the truthfulness and the honesty that the performer brings mm -hmm. in and revealing themselves, that cabaret is actually what you said before, it's a conversation and, and, mm -hmm. and it's revealing who you are. There's no role yeah. to hide behind. And I think people are seeking some sort of connection and authenticity. Why I think people who love cabaret um, and, and artists who do it well, that's sort of the key is that connection, that honesty. Well, it's a deep human need to feel connected to other, to be a community. I mean, that's part of our makeup as beings. We're gregarious. And I think when times get denser and more overwhelming, then more than ever, you, and, and we feel fragmented in the way that we've chosen to live, right? Um, 
just feel that way, you know, feel disconnected, hooked up to all the things we know, holding a phone and, you know, and getting more info and, you know, it's just that overstimulation. How does one combat that? I, and Marty, my husband, told me a wonderful story not long ago, Nancy Pelosi, and, and doesn't, this is not political and it's not, it's not a partisan comment. She was asked, you know, how is this country ever going to unite again? You know this, what she said? She mm -mm. said, through the arts. That was like an answer from left field yeah. to well, me. Well, Churchill said that too. When yeah. they said, we cut arts funding and said, then why are we fighting this war? <laughs> um, you know. <laughs> well, it, arts are supposed to reveal the best parts of being human. She's, she said something to the idea, you know, that when we hear great art, when we, it's music or we see a painting, I mean, she was alluding to the fact that something in us just surrenders to the fact that we're all in this together, we're yeah. all human, we're all responding to the same thing that that music yes. is saying, you know? It, it teaches opens us to your be, heart. Uh, to empathize. Yeah. Also. Because, you know, we're pretty much me-oriented, of course. I mm -hmm. mean, I, I see all that in myself. I wanted to think more deeply about all that. You know, the things I think I think, the yeah. things I think I live by, and then, you know, I'm yeah. at an age now where I am more reflective anyway. It's like, why am I really walking my talk? You and know? the great thing about music is that you don't have to lecture or tell people that. Yeah. You just sing a song you and sing people a song understand and, it it. and connect and mm -hmm. experience that. That's kind of an art to an arcing a show because you know you start off being quite verbose and that's very easy for me. Mm -hmm. You know, and, and laying it out like, you know, black and white to people who if you just it's easier to just provoke a thought yeah. and then sing the song. Yeah. You um you've starred in many Broadway productions and with the Scarlet Pimpernel, you had the opportunity to originate the role of Marguerite. Mm -hmm. How was that process different for you as a performer than doing an iconic role like Eliza Doolittle, let's well, say? Everything has its challenge because you know, you're being compared to everybody in the universe when you recreate a part. Although that never bothered me. I didn't let that bother me in terms of revivals. You know, there was so much work to be done on the role that that's why I just threw my energy. And I loved all the original performers, so I, I wasn't in competition with them. Marketing loves to throw you. I mean, I can still see the New York Times. I'll answer your question in a second, but I can still see the New York Times when I did My Fair Lady having me pitted against the two flower girls, Julie Andrews and me, because I was the first <laughs> one to do it on Broadway since Julie. Yeah. So that's the way of going, and that's the pitfall of that. <laughs> but honestly, I, I was lucky. I was in my naivete. It didn't bother me and in my love of the original people. Now, in an, origin, in an original show, of course, there's no map, there's no arc. We're creating, we had a great story, but we had to find the way to tell it that you, know, you could empathize with. And I don't think we fully succeeded for a whole bunch of reasons, but what we did have in that show were wonderful performances mm -hmm. by Douglas Sills, Terry Mann oh in particular. Goodness. The two, I mean, what it actually turned into was people coming to see, the, and they had a lovely score too. A lot of Wildhorn's music I, I did enjoy, yeah. although it was meant to sing for the iron throat and beautiful throat of Linda Etter, and I don't have that iron throat. <laughs> but, so that was another <laughs> challenge. But I learned a lot about singing pop because it was basically a pop yeah. score. You know, and I'm a lyrical singer, so that was an interesting challenge. But people would come to see that show just to watch Terry Mann and Doug sort of do their face-off as the bad guy and the good guy. Yeah. I mean, there was something... I mean, I never knew what was going to happen with the two of them. Yeah. But they were classy guys, and that was fun to watch for me, too, every night. So that was an interesting year of my well, life. Well, and I think it was fun for the audience yeah. because they could see that you guys were having a ton of fun up there. Yeah. And it was also just a, a classic old-style musical comedy in a yeah. way that we don't 
people don't write those as much anymore. They're writing edgy, you know, shows. Would an about audience issue. come for those now? I don't know. I mean, we don't get too many of them, and I feel like they would if it was well done yeah, because we need so. that relief. I mean, there's something to be said about the success of um, the play that goes wrong. Mm -hmm. You know, it's now years that it was running on Broadway and off Broadway. It's just a good old fashioned farce brilliantly mm -hmm. written, really well performed, and yeah. people just love it because you go to the theater for a night and to be you laugh. Like you like they're huge belly laughs. They're it's yeah. a hilarious play. And I felt like that about the Scarlet Pimpernel and and also like you said, the performances, particularly Doug Sills, oh because you you felt like you, a star is born. Like where has he been? And then all mm -hmm. of a sudden he was the Scarlet Pimpernel and was hilarious and dashing he and amazing. Wonderful. So I thought, oh, you know, it, it looked like a tremendous amount of fun. And so the audiences that came were having fun and loving I mean, it. And that he did that eight shows a week. But he was really invested. And yeah. He was terrific. Yeah. I mean, I've, I've always enjoyed shows. I, I have to say that, you know, I, I was picky in my early years. And I guess I've always been picky. I could, sort of had a sense of what would be fun and what wouldn't. Because eight shows a week is challenging. Yeah. So you better pick something you're going and people that you want to work with and material that you're going to enjoy interpreting. And I've been that way about all the all my adventures on stage, whether it's concert or, or shows. Mm -hmm. It's important to have a good time. Yeah. Um, so you were also in the acclaimed revival of Lacage in 2010. Yeah. And it kind of had a dream cast. Douglas it Hodge, did. Kelsey Grammer, Vianne Cox, my goodness. She was my roomie. <laughs> so that was your comeback to Broadway after many years away. Mm -hmm. so what was that experience like? Well, it was a little, you know, it was an interesting choice for me. It wasn't a huge part, but it was a lot of fun. And I took it because my husband, who's a composer, was working on something, a project, and we just, I didn't want to travel. I wanted to be home with family, so that just kept me occupied. And it ended up, you know, Kelsey, again, the players were brilliant. Kelsey, he, the minute he walked on stage, the crowd went crazy because they had seen him in their living room for years. Mm -hmm. And that persona that he has was perfect for this character. And Doug Hodge, who, you know, did Albana, you know, had been imported from London to great acclaim doing it over there. So there was an excitement about the two of them and they loved each other on stage and off in, in the right way, in the appropriate way. But I mean, they, they adored each other and that was palpable. Yeah, And, and you, you know, this love that. story hadn't, wasn't able to be told in its entire truth years ago. And God bless Jerry Herman had just passed. I was kind of the spy because Jerry was a buddy and I, I used, I would call him and say, Jerry, it's, you, it, it, and, and when he, he came to opening night and he asked me if I would escort him onto the stage afterwards. So it was, it was sweet. And then I, Thereafter, I would call and say, it's going so great. Your love story is really being told. And he would almost weep on the phone because, you know, this love story between two men is long overdue to be told yeah. in, its, in its truth and beauty. Love is love. Yeah. Wherever you find it, man, just honor it, right? Yeah, if you're lucky enough to find it, you yeah, should well, <laughs> grab yeah. it and honor it. So you took a break from the stage to be with your family. How was it to come back after so many years? Had Broadway changed much in New York? Well, what do you think? <laughs> <laughs> yes, we have Disney. Um, that'll get me going there. But yeah, I mean, I, 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 it's great. Everybody's working, but it is... And, you know, when I was young, the older actors that were probably complaining about what the new shows, shows were at the time that, you know, we were doing. But, mm -hmm. but if you come from the classic shows, 
I, I just miss those classics. Yeah. You know, the, almost like, you know, those older shows were based on stories that really said something about the human condition. And uh, my favorite show would be, you know, to see something that makes me think deeply as a being, you know, to be, uh, I, I miss that. So yeah. when something, I mean, I just saw the play To Kill a Mockingbird, you know, again with Jeff Daniels and, you know, that, that just takes you, some, that's what Nancy Pelosi talked about, that takes you someplace. Mm -hmm. I feel great when I left Jersey Boys, it was, wow, you know. Yeah. Uh, so yes, I guess there's a place for it and, and I, I, you know, I just go with the flow of it. Right. But I would wish that some composer somewhere who's completely unknown or some playwright completely unknown would have a shot at getting his show done. He doesn't have to have some movie theme that everybody remembers mm -hmm. or some music group that we all knew growing up with. You want them to have a shot at getting their things done, and are they getting a shot? Yes. How many voices are out there that can't get a foot in the door because you don't know who the hell they are? And yeah. that comes down to producing, doesn't it? Yeah. That some great producer whose name you trust, like a David Merrick, you know, yeah. a Hal Prince, you would say, you know, oh, Wow, they think this is good, so let's do it. Let's yeah. educate a crowd. You know, yeah. that's what I wish for. Alongside of the amusements, I call them yeah. amusements that we have going on. Yeah, so. I mean that it was in the style of Joe Papp too, where he would just yeah, a script would cross his desk and he would say, "Great, let's do it." Got to do nobody this. Nobody heard of this. These. Has something to say? Yeah. Um, I think you know part of it is the economics have gotten so severe that people now want the sure thing and so you well, have sure, to have it's a brand expensive. name. I mean you gotta sell your firstborn but, to go but see what's show. interesting is all like all the Tony winning shows for the last several years have not been those shows, have been the ones that come out of nowhere. The yeah. you know, the Hades towns and, and shows like that. So it's interesting we say that and we acknowledge that as producers, but then when you look at the track record of all the mm -hmm. best new musicals Fun Home, Hades Town. It's shows like that, like Dear Evan Hansen, you know, even though that's a pop score, two unknown songwriters were mm -hmm. kind of nurtured on their way to Broadway. Um, but Broadway's, Broadway yeah. used to be filled with yeah. new shows. So it, it is amazing. If you want to win that Tony for Best Musical, you need a, a new original show that... You is, hear that is out not there? <laughs> Are you people with money? <laughs> Did so you hear it's, that? It's pretty amazing. Um, Why well, live with the composer so I know? So yeah. I read somewhere that one of your first shows back after taking a break was doing Light in the Piazza. Oh, my God. Which yeah. I actually saw, I think, in Los Angeles. I saw it somewhere oh out yeah? west. And it was... That would have been I, me. Well, I had never seen it on Broadway, so I was happily able to catch it on the road, and it was spectacular, was of course. I mean, I definitely had listened to the score and been a little obsessed with, you know, the whole idea and how beautiful the score was. And then yeah, to Adam see Gettle. it was... Mm. was just gorgeous. Um, so how was that experience for you? It was transcendent, you, you know, for, for many reasons. Um, often in my life, I say this when I do my own show about my life in a song called Love is Good. I, often in my career, my, both my career and my personal life mirror each other. So right at the time that I was doing Piazza, I have a special son. You know, it's about a mother and daughter traveling mm -hmm. through Italy, and she has a special daughter, and she feels very guilty about the accident that created the daughter's condition. Mm -hmm. And so the girl falls in love, and she's afraid to let her, you know, fall. You know, she's afraid to let her go. 
the yeah. pure perfect love and she comes to into the realization as to why and there's a whole big epiphany well right at the time i was offered this role my son mac who's on the autistic spectrum was 18 and he was tired of living at home and tired of being on my schedule which i don't blame him he 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 very typically wanted his own rhythm and life and he couldn't live alone and a miracle happened and a lot of miracles have happened in my life in this case i think mac made this special people make special things happen mm -hmm. and a group home opened up within 15 minutes of my house this does people wait for years to get wow. their kids into group homes this happened right at the same time and literally four days after i put my name on the dotted line for piazza he moved into his group home Amazing. So I was a mom of a special kid letting go, playing the mom of a special kid letting go. Incredible. And it was the most graceful. It was just, it was arced perfectly. Like I, we had 55 weeks on the road with the show with these breaks of a week or so every maybe month and a half. So this would give my son enough time to figure out who he was in his new life without mom fixing everything as mm -hmm. I have a tendency to do. And, and also just that we would connect enough for him to know that home was still home, you know, real home. Well, this was his new home, but his family home was still there. So, and of course, Bart Sherb was intrigued that I actually was the mom of a special kid and, and he allowed a lot of my own instinctive choices to be investigated in the way that I portrayed Margaret Johnson. And it was a beautiful company, Elena Shadow, and then Katie Rose Clark, who also played my daughter Clara, had the most uncanny way of demanding the truth out of me every performance because she could only be totally present on stage. Yeah. She was like, 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 like a creature, you know, like that's why we all watch dogs and babies because they, they can't be anything else but dogs and babies. Mm -hmm. She couldn't be anything but honest. Beautiful. And so that was an interesting experience for me too. But every every performer in that show, yeah, was stunning. And and it called for you to be your best. The cast of that show was stunning. And we traveled with our own harpist mm -hmm. and pianist. Oh wow! Um, so that the rhythm of the show, because it was so much harp driven too, yeah. you know, it was exactly as it was intended to be originally. All the original creatives were on board to mm -hmm. steer us, because it's a yeah. complicated show. Complicated in every which sense. Yeah. I, w I would have loved to have done it again. I probably still could do it again. Well, I, I, this is a show that I hope will be revived. It's complicated, um, and it's it has so to be done beautiful. at the best level. Yeah, it does. But it says a you lot about the human spirit, you know, yeah. and, and a lot about frailty, a lot about what I'm trying to do in my current show that I'm doing here. Mm -hmm. So it was, it was brilliant to do. Yeah. You started your career as a very young ingenue. <laughs> and when you started, amplification was not oh, a thing that was used in the cool theater. What a cool place to go here, um, Nella. So how, was, how is it for you now that Ugh. we have microphones? and? Can I talk about before and after? Yes, absolutely. Because, you know, in the old days, <laughs> I call them the old, back in the day... <laughs> Well, I mean, I did revivals. So I was doing shows that were written in the 40s and the 30s. Um, On Your Toes was in the 30s, and uh, Rogers and Hart in Oklahoma and My Fair Lady. These scores were written so that when the voice got quiet, the orchestra was quiet. Also, when you did these shows, when I did them, even when I did them, I played theaters where the orchestra was actually in the pit in front of me. I could see these guys. They could see us. Mm -hmm. Nobody was on the phone. Nobody was actually even looking at their paper. Yeah. 
I did these shows with the original conductors of the original shows. There was so much original energy that was gorgeous in those productions. Mm -hmm. And when you stood square on the stage and you had to deliver your lines and you had to be, there was a whole technique for cheating and throwing your voice out. Mm -hmm. And I did them in theaters that were designed for these shows. Yeah. So we didn't need amplification. If you had the training and the size of voice to carry the score and the lines, you just had to do that. And it was thrilling because I knew that all my years of study to develop the voice that I developed, that's what the audience was getting. And, and honestly, I played the palace with Oklahoma and that was such a perfect theater because not all theaters are created equal. That was a great house, is a great house. And when you, I would hit a big forceful note, I could feel it bounce off the back wall. It was like a physical, and I, could, I knew it was hitting you in the back of the head as it was working its way back to me. It hit me back in the face. There was an actual physical force to your voice. It, it would put, you know, chills up your spine. Mm -hmm. So when we moved into a new age of amplified sound and composers could do whatever they wanted mm -hmm. with a score, they didn't, you know, didn't have to modulate sound to, you know, so the, so the singer could be heard. I mean, it changed a lot. It, it got to me to be a lot more, you know, let's just be, what was the word? It got to be soaring. It didn't have to be. I mean, Adam Gettle didn't write that way. Yeah. But a lot of people could just do whatever they, they it didn't get as crafted. Maybe yeah. that's the word. It didn't have to be as crafted. I and, do and notice that, that I do have a, I have a hard time hearing lyrics when I yeah. go to shows. And, and then a lot of lyrics are the rhythm of like yeah. not really intelligent thought. Yeah. I got up and I need a coffee, yeah. so I got up and I got a cup of coffee and it was cold, it got yeah. too cold. And, it, and you're going, I don't give a shit about your cup of coffee. Yeah. And yet that's what people are singing about. They're singing yeah. about mundane things. Yeah. I mean, Jesus, I guess when you're a Cole Porter and, and, or and a heart, you want people to listen to your lyrics and so people score them appropriately because they're such brilliant lyrics. But also what you're singing about. Yeah. Hammerstein and Hart and Lerner. I mean... I sat with Alan J. Lerner during My Fair Lady. He was working on 1600 Pennsylvania Avenue. He was infamous for when he was working on something and having difficulty, he would bite his fingers to the quick and his <laughs> fingers would bleed. And we sat in Sardis and he was wearing white gloves with little tiny dots of blood because 1600 Pennsylvania Avenue was giving him such heartache. I mean, these guys in Sondheim, they just took... I mean, lyric is everything. Yeah. It's, 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 and, it, and, you know, you're trying to take these huge ideas and themes and stories of, of human journeys and whittle them down to bare essence in a lyric. So I don't really want to hear about your cup of coffee getting cold. I mean, I'm making that up, but yeah. I don't, and, and, and it doesn't make for good music. If you're writing to that rhythm, it makes for mundane music. Yeah. Something I have trouble learning because every note feels arbitrary. Yeah. Whereas no note feels arbitrary well, in these old today. scores. They just repeat the same thing But not, thing it didn't used yeah. to be pop music either. There's some great yeah. lyrics still in country. Yeah. You know, I wasn't raised listening to country, but when I want to hear like a good lyric or in great singing, you know, I loved Linda Ronstadt. We had yeah. very similar voices. I used to listen to her and think, we have similar voices. How does she sing? Because she... Where her voice comes from is so different from my voice. Mm -hmm. And yet our voices are very similar, clear soprano sounds, you know? Yeah, we're still waiting for the big, great country musical to hit Broadway because mm, country music tells such a story in every song. Yeah. The, there's a craft that every song 
in country is practically its own little plot mm -hmm. line and musical. And a lot of people are thinking about that. And there's been a couple of musicals in development just because of the storytelling aspect of that genre of music that I think yeah. would do really well. I think it um, would too, as long yeah. as it doesn't get overly sentimental. Yeah, exactly. there, there can be that tendency in anything in the country yeah. too. But Marty, my husband, was uh, he told me a story. He listens to a lot more news than I do and stuff. <laughs> Toby Keith and Clint were, Eastwood, were in a golf tournament together. And they really, really enjoyed each other's company. So when the tournament ended, Toby wanted to take Clint out to dinner. And Clint said, I, I really can't. I, tomorrow I leave like at 6 in the morning or 5 in the morning I, for a flight to L.A. I, I have to direct and star in this picture. And, and Toby Keith's jaw just dropped. He said, because this was a long tournament. Toby was exhausted. And, and he said, how the hell are you doing that? And Clint just smiled and he said, well, I mean, how, how do you have the energy to like, do all this? He said, well, I don't let the old man in. <laughs> and of course, ding, ding, ding to a writer. Toby just went, and he went home and he wrote that song. And it, was in, and it ended up being in this picture that Clint was working on. Oh, wow. It became the, the theme. That's amazing. So, <laughs> That's is, so but fun. isn't that a great concept? Yeah. Don't let the old man in. And, and as I'm getting older, I certainly appreciate that idea. Yeah. Because you wake up and things that never hurt before are hurting. And yeah. like, I'm getting a cataract in my right eye. What the, f you know, I mean, I have this like, now that can be taken care of, but it's like, yeah. what's going on in this vessel that always served me? And yeah. so it's going to happen to everybody. I'm not being singled out, you know. Yeah. And friends, I turn sideways and somebody's gone. Again, this is in this is part of the writing of this show is that if it's a little freaky getting older and you only do it once a lifetime, so you don't really know how to do it. You know, there's like you can read things about it. I can listen to podcasts about it. Mm -hmm. But the way you do it is peculiarly your own and the way you cope with it and stay buoyant is peculiarly your own. So whatever in the arts is helping us understand that. You know, a musical, a song, a concert, a cabaret act. I mean, it's it's good to have some affirmation that we can be okay with change. Yeah. Change is inevitable, right? Life comes in full measure and change is inevitable. Exactly. Great. Well, that's a great way to end. <laughs> <laughs> Come Thank see the show and I'll tell you, I'll tell you the secret of life. Fantastic. I know. <laughs> well, Christine, thanks so much for joining us. This was great. If you want to see Christine's show, January 29th to February 1st, right here, Find Science 54 Below. You can get tickets at 54below.com. Hey, it's Leslie Odom Jr. here on the Broadway Podcast Network to tell you about the RISE Theatre Directory, a program of maestro music. RISE is a national online resource designed to connect and empower backstage and administrative and creative theatre professionals from underrepresented backgrounds. If you work or aspire to work in the theater community, this can help you find your next project. And if you hire theater professionals, search the Rise Theater directory to find your next team. Create your profile now and get more information by visiting risetheater.org. That's theater with an R-E-R-I-S-E-T-H-E-A-T-R-E dot -E 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 org because only together we rise.